Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. I am no fan of royalty. My blog is replete with commentaries denouncing all of its presumptions, perks, and appurtenances. Notable titles include uh, Pardon me, sir, but how much did you pay for your knighthood? On July 14, 2006. Uh, the problem is not Kate's weight, it's William's title. On February 16, 2011. Get over yourself, Megan. Royalty is as royalty was. On October 22, 2019. And dissing British monarchy to mourn American democracy. On November 6, 2020. The simple fact is that I believe royalty is anathema to the universal principle that all people are created equal. So any democracy that institutionalizes royalty in the 21st century is almost as cancerous and oxymoronic as any that institutionalized slavery in the 19th. A Prince Charles famously decreed that modern architecture is an eyesore on the skyline of London which needs to be demolished. But I submit that royalty is an eyesore on the landscape of democracy which needs to be abolished. The most compelling justification countries offer for maintaining royal families these days is that they are good for the economy. Of course, this is the same justification the South offered for maintaining the institution of slavery. But it's high time to redress the irredeemable folly of people visiting countries to gawk at royals the way they visit zoos to gawk at animals. Which brings me to the royal family of Monaco. Royal weddings have always been pursuant far more to affairs of state than to love affairs. And you'd be forgiven for thinking that Charles and Diana were the first to popularize these business transactions as real-life fairy tales. But decades before Prince Charles plucked a shy, babysitting die from obscurity to give the British economy a boost, Prince Rainier went all the way to Hollywood to cast A-list actress Grace Kelly to do the same for the Monaco economy, complete with a made-for-TV wedding ceremony, guaranteed to boost tourism. More to the point, Given the age-old justification, it's hardly surprising that so many of these fairy tale weddings ensnared brides in nightmare marriages that led inexorably to divorce, 
which, incidentally, even royals have no compunction about filing for these days. Sure enough, the princess bride, who married Rainier's heir, Prince Albert, seemed headed for this fate, too. No doubt you recall Charles's Diana. In her famous 1995 BBC interview, lamenting her decision to walk down the aisle, even after finding out, on her wedding day no less, that, quote, there were three of us, end quote, in the marriage. She was referring, of course, to Camilla Parker Bowles, the woman who somehow knew she would be queen, even if over Diana's dead body. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the point is that, unlike Charles's Diana, Albert's Charlene tried repeatedly to run away before walking down the aisle. This after she found out that he was not just a cad, but a deadbeat dad of two. Unfortunately, her South African family and country alike had already become too vested in all the perks they expected her royal marriage would bring. This is why, instead of the open arms of refuge, they greeted her flight from Monaco with what seemed tantamount to the pointed guns of a firing squad. I decried her fate in Monaco's Prince Albert Captures His Runaway Bride on July 5, 2011. But that paled in comparison with the way Charlene cried up a storm throughout their wedding ceremony. Colour me cynical, but I suspect she did so intentionally, not just to convey her duress and sorrow but also to humiliate him. Ultimately, though, my take on their marriage was that they probably deserved each other, as this excerpt from that July 2011 commentary attests. I could not have been more cynical in previous commentaries in observing that Albert is no Prince Charming and will be tied the woman who marries him. This is why I suggested that only a gold digger would consider him a great catch, implying, of course, that Charlene had to be one. Well, it turns out I was completely right about him, but only partially right about her. Because reports are that she tried to run away three times to avoid having to go through with her three-day royal wedding. But it hardly reflects well on her that the only thing her attempts to escape accomplished was to force Albert to renegotiate the financial terms of their prenuptial agreement, i.e. to make them more lucrative for her. End quote. 
Indeed, we can deduce that the terms were lucrative enough for her to bear, not only them, but a legitimate heir and a spare, the latter most notably, to remove any prospect of Albert's black son, Gasp, ever inheriting his throne. In fact, everything seemed honky-dory until last year, when, despite it all, she sought and found refuge with South African Bushmen. Charlene claimed she only went for a short safari, but that a sinus infection and subsequent surgery made returning impossible. This because she couldn't fly above 3,000 meters. None of it made any sense, of course. For starters, it must have occurred, even to her most dim-witted subjects in Monaco, the de facto world capital of superyachts, that the princess could have gotten on one and been home in due course if she really wanted to. Indeed, the ocean air might have helped clear up her mysterious sinus infection. <laughs> but we now know this gold digger was just digging for more gold. Because French tabloids were replete with stories this summer about how Charlene was just holding out in South Africa last summer because she was demanding a new post-nuptial agreement on her terms. And, given what she must have extracted as Albert's runaway bride, who could blame her for thinking she could extract a king's ransom as his runaway wife and the mother of his children? And sure enough, after six months, Albert knew she had him over a barrel, because the longer he waited, the more her price would probably increase, and worse, the more tabloid stories about his marriage would begin making his life a living nightmare. And so he paid up, and last November, she came home. But it is truly remarkable that Albert's careless promiscuity is equally matched by his clueless naivety, because only that explains him thinking, A, that the woman who humiliated him in front of the whole world by crying in sorrow throughout their wedding ceremony could resist humiliating him again by leaking to the tabloids how much she suckered him into paying her twelve million pounds a year just to stay with him. <laughs> and B, that the woman who came out of the woodwork just last year shouting, me too, is the last one who will be suing, claiming he's the father of her child. Come to think of it, this alone could explain why Charlene ran away last year and was so hell-bent on making Albert pay, no?
regular readers of my blog know of my informed and righteous contempt for organized religion and for evangelical Christians in particular. This is why hate royalty, not the royals, smacks too much of the evangelical canard. Hate the sin, not the sinner. Even so, I don't mind admitting that some royals, like Britain's Queen Elizabeth and Bhutan's King Jigme, appear to have some endearing qualities. <laughs> By contrast, Albert and Charlene appear to have none. I mean, as much as I admire her for playing Albert the way I'm sure Diana wishes she had played Charles, I am still mindful that Charlene abandoned her six-year-old twins for six months just to extract more money from their father. So what does that say about her as a mother? Truth be told, though, my antipathy toward Albert is as much racial as royal. I alluded to it earlier, but here is how I called this spade a spade over 17 years ago in Prince Albert of Monaco renounces birthright of his black son on July 5, 2005. Unfortunately, Albert has decreed that his son's royal birthright shall be neither conferred nor recognized. This is Europe, after all. And despite their cosmopolitan pretensions and the predilection of their men for sex with black women, European royals remain so provincially racist that the prospect of a black prince in their midst is simply too scandalous even to countenance. Of course, inbreeding and consorting with Nazis, well, that's fine. But this? Perish the thought. And so, by issuing his decree, Albert eagerly assured his peers that, while he acknowledges his bastard son, this boy will have no chance of sitting on his throne. Hell, he'll be lucky if Albert lets him use his royal name, Grimaldi." End quote. And enough said. That's it. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for thought-provoking commentaries, often laced with humor, I invite you to visit my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.